Hello, everyone, and hello, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. We're really thrilled to uh, have you. So for those who don't know, Katie is the director of marketing ops at Envision. If you don't know about Envision, you should look it up and you should know about them. Uh, they're a super high volume, uh, awesome PLG company uh, that to some extent I would consider kind of like really pioneered uh, the PLG movement, I think was one of the really first successful companies to have uh, that approach. And I think um, they kind of paved the way for a lot of uh, companies uh, off to them. And I think there's a lot that we're going to talk about that I think is is really interesting, and there's a lot to learn from um, when we look at Envision's kind of path from you know like initial success in PLG all the way to scaling um, this like amazing go-to-market uh, machine that they have. So again, Katie, thanks a ton for uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. Uh, and so we'll quickly go through some housekeeping while people are still joining. Um, so if you're not familiar uh, with Livestorm, it's a pretty cool uh, webinar tool, and I would actually recommend it for everyone. I'm not paid to say this. I actually pay them. But uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So you'll see there's um, a chat uh, tab on the uh, on the right. There's also a questions tab. So please feel free to go in and ask any questions you might have. Uh, for anything that's relevant to the topic that we're currently addressing, I'll kind of like pick those questions and uh, ask them to Katie on the fly. And then for anything else, we'll uh, reserve some Q&A time towards the end so that we can uh, address most of the questions that are there. Uh, but in the meantime, please do feel free to say hello in the chat, um, introduce yourself, and like say hi to all the uh, fellow marketers that are out there. Um, cool. And um, also a quick reminder that <clears throat> we are starting the June sessions. Uh, so we are kind of starting the uh, awesome um, wine subscription um, lottery. So if you are joining, you are uh, eligible for this, which is great news. Um, but without further ado, let's jump right into the topic. So uh, as I said, super, super excited to have um, Katie join us. And I think um, what I want to start with is um, jumping right into it. So as I mentioned, Envision um, beyond um, you know, like the success of the company, one of the things that that means is as a PLG company, there's massive volumes of uh, users ranging from like freelancers that are going to use Envision for like different projects all the way to um, like companies like Disney or things like that, where there's a ton of designers that are actually interacting with the product. So with these kind of volumes, one of the challenges that a lot of marketing ops people face is that the platforms that you typically buy are going to charge massive fees. And so one of the topics I was interested in hearing from you is kind of how um, does Envision and how do you go about um, negotiating rates with vendors and figuring out how to adjust their expectation of the value of the lead, which might be different from an enterprise company that would have much lower volumes? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we actually recently moved from uh, HubSpot to Marketo last year. So we had a firsthand deal at um, negotiating that and figuring that out. So I think one of the first things is, um, you know, we have a very large database size. And when you do and you have a product-led growth company, um, a lot of times those people aren't going to be extremely, not everyone in there is going to be extremely active. I mean, how many times have you gone and signed up for a product and then never used it again? And so we have a lot of those people that sit in our database. And so I think one of the first things is trying to work with the company to understand if they can give you a lower price on inactive users. So if you set some boundaries and say people that haven't been active in you know, X amount of time, they're not opening our emails, 
can we actually have a lower price on them? Um, you can even take it a step further, which actually Envision did, and create your own archiving strategy around that and basically you know, set some boundaries to say, after a certain amount of time, we're going to part ways with these emails and um, send them to a backup database so that you actually don't have to pay for those people that aren't interacting with your content. Um, and then I think the, the other way is looking at people that are unsubscribed. So two, two options here. Um, sometimes companies will actually give you a lower cost on the people that are unsubscribed. So maybe a much lower price for um, per contact for those people compared to the active subscribed contacts. Or you could actually um, create, like with Marketo, what we did was a durable unsubscribes list where we had them in a list and basically deleted them. And the durable unsubscribes feature basically allows you to then have, if they come back, it'll keep a record of them being opted out so that you don't accidentally email them again. Um, so that's kind of the ways we tried to get it down is basically look at your database and really, I know it's very hard for a marketer to part ways with their database um, in any way because you work so hard to get everyone there, but you do have to be a little bit um, diligent about making sure you don't just have people in there that aren't interacting, that aren't really pro providing any value to you or your database. Right, and I think the durable uh, opt-out is definitely something that I think is a uh, is really key and super interesting, like a really cool feature of Marketo to be able to kind of like keep a record of the fact that this was a a record a contact at some point, uh, mm -hmm. but that you're kind of removing them because they're inactive and they have opted out, so it's not like you're going to be able to proactively uh, reactivate them, um, which is super interesting. And so um, you mentioned having a a backup system. Um, today, kind of how how is that built? So that does that go into um, some kind of a data warehouse, and, and how is that managed? Yeah, so it goes into a data warehouse. Um, we have a biz tech team that manages Salesforce, so we actually worked really closely with them to make sure that our archiving system mirrored Salesforce. So same idea: if someone has been active for a certain amount of time in Marketo or in Salesforce, you get deleted from both systems, and you go into this backup data warehouse. Um, I will say that we actually haven't, we've, we've been doing this for about um, nine months now and we haven't had anyone where we actually have to go pull them back, um, but we do have them there just in case. Um, but most of the time, like, you know, if they're going to come back, they'll come back via filling out a new form or signing up for the product again. Right. Um, and then that's really interesting because ultimately it's it's kind of also showing that even though we're all super worried about our uh, our database, it's actually not that valuable when people are inactive and there's not that much value to squeeze out of it. Um, one thing that um, I, I think is also um, really interesting and we're kind of like starting to touch upon it with this idea of a data warehouse is, so Envision again, like being PLG, there's a lot of product activity. And um, if I remember correctly, I mean, you folks are big uh, segment users. And so, so segment for those who don't know is an analytics tracker. Um, so it's, you know, the ability to track all the events that are happening within the, the product. And so that typically is owned by product. And it's it's something that we see PLG companies struggle a little bit with because um, it's owned by product because it's, it's generally leveraged for product analytics and a lot of things like that. But there's also a strong interest in marketing be able to leverage um, information about what users are doing in the app, what customers are doing in the app to surface that to the go-to-market team. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you kind of foster a you know working relationship with the product and data ops team that owns this kind of segment instance. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a great question. And it's funny when I, I've been at Envision for about three years now. And when I first got here, marketing really didn't have a huge um, impact on segment or what we did in segment. It was mostly like us. I remember when we started working with Mad Kudu, you know, we were we plugged into segment and that was all we kind of knew. We didn't really know like what events were being sent or anything like that. And so the way we actually kind of start started that relationship was first introing ourselves to all the different product teams um, and kind of getting to know like which product teams were in charge of what. Um, a lot of the different product teams had their own different um, areas that they controlled specific events. And then you would need to go to like the next product team for the onboarding events. Um, so kind of like mapping out in our minds so we could kind of speak the lingo and know like which teams did what. And so when we were talking to someone that they really felt like we knew what we were talking about and which teams to go to. Um, and then I think the other thing was like just telling them what we do because, uh, you know, not only does sometimes people in marketing not know what marketing ops does, uh, people in product definitely don't know what marketing ops does. So giving them more explanation of what we do, why it's important that people, you know, that the segment events directly impact our MQLs. And if someone MQLs, a sales rep reaches out and like enlightening them on that part, they were like, oh, wow, we didn't realize that like all these signups are then getting reached out to by a salesperson. And then that really gives them a little bit more um, that allows them to realize that that's really important, especially for the PMs as well. So I think we did a lot of that like knowledge transfer and introing ourselves and things like that. Um, and then also just like kind of like poking into things, because I think that when we had first got there, there wasn't really a huge amount of ownership over segment. There was the individual product teams. There was the data team owned the naming conventions. Um, but there wasn't really an overall strategy of who decided what events we populate um, in like a dictionary of tracking events and things like that. So we started asking more about that. Um, and now we have a really great re working relationship where whenever we're launching a new feature, wherever we're um, launching anything new in the product, we have a good relationship where we could say, okay, what's the segment event related to this? Are we going to be sending it to Marketo? Are we going to use it in our model and things like that? Um, so I think just like making, inserting yourself into the conversation and like getting in the Slack channels or meetings or whatever it is and making sure that they know why you're important. Right. No, and I think, uh, and one of the themes that I keep on bringing up is I think um, I, I'm seeing more and more marketing ops as kind of the PMs, like product managers of the go-to-market side, where there's a similar thing of, it's not just about like, oh, what landing page do we build and kind of the engineering perspective, like, ah, where do I put my HTML, like all of this, it's like, think of what's the business objective and understanding and kind of translating that for um, the segment tracking of saying, well, actually, you know, if we have too granular of a tracking in segment, then that kind of like destroys value from um, like even like understanding how many people are signing up. Because if you have like 20 different, uh, you know, track events for all the variations of the button, sure, it might help for some like analytics that you want to run on the A-B test, but then it causes a ton of issues downstream for whoever is using this to figure out who to push the sales. And, and I think that's something that um, like marketing ops can learn a lot from in terms of like how to think about their job as a, a product manager. And one um, one element that to me is also interesting is, um, you know, salespeople typically want to see a lot of this data, but they don't really have access to it. So I'm curious, um, have like had sales tried to figure out a way to interact with the product data? And yeah. was there a conversation that was also happening between sales and data ops or sales and product that was kind of sidelined with the uh, mark ops and product? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, sales is definitely always hungry for product data, um, especially when you have this kind of model where most of your most of your leads are coming from the product. And a great way to know if someone is a good fit for enterprise is knowing if they're doing specific actions or if they're a really heavy product user. Um, so we did have a little bit of tangential conversations, but eventually we kind of all came together. And the product team actually has um, some really great mode dashboards that we use. Um, that pulls from segment and allows um, basically a very user-friendly way for CFT to go in and actually look up customers and see what they've been doing and you know what products they use, specific, things like that. And I think that has given them a lot of power um, to be able to, before they go into a customer call or anything like that, to go in and see what that account is doing. Um, we've also tried to make it easier for them to have like, very, I would say, simple metrics of um, like specific features used and product used where we actually set up a system where we can like tag things from segment in Marketo and then send that through to Salesforce. Um, and that really helps them with building um, like lists to go outbound on and things like that um, and give them a little bit more insight on what exact features their customers are using. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think it's interesting again to see how um, What's interesting is like very often sales is looking for information, but really, I mean, what they're looking for is to figure out either who to go after, mm -hmm. or if they're going after some account is understanding like what could they talk about? And that's where um, they want to see the product information. And and often I see this kind of lost in translation where it's like, oh, we need access to the product data, which give me data doesn't mean anything, right? It's like, what are you trying to do with the data that matters? And that's again, where I see a lot of value in, you know, mops and then potentially like RevOps kind of uh, interacting there to figure out, okay, like I hear your ask, let's figure out what the requirements are based on what the actual business goal is. And from that, we'll actually formulate the right request um, to the data ops team and the biz tech team to make sure that whatever dashboards we create or whatever information we push into Marketo or Salesforce is actually going to be helpful for that. Yes, that's that's exactly that's exactly spot on. And what we actually did was we had a sit down. It was we treated it like a project where we sat down with all of the BDR managers and asked for their wish list of like what would your team love to know about users. And then we helped from there. You know, some things were just like they would just like to know just because, and they weren't going to actually action on it. So we figured out what were the things they would actually be able to action on, and then translated that into um, into kind of data speak and help the data team uh, create a mode dashboard specifically for that. That makes sense. Um, cool. And so maybe switching gears, I know that one of the things um, we uh, we talked about is that you recently completed a pretty substantial migration from uh, from HubSpot to. Marketo, and I know this is something that every company goes through at some point, like a migration from one system to another, and um, would love to hear kind of like war stories or like lessons learned in, in doing that and what you would kind of recommend people think about if they are, if they have any plans of, you know, doing such migration. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we actually hired a implementation consultants to help us. Um, at the time, we had really three main folks on the team that were going to be helping with migration. And as you know, in MOPS, you have plenty of other stuff on your plate than in addition to the migration. So we knew we'd need help. And the idea was we really wanted someone to like quarterback the entire thing and have a project plan and telling us, you know, what we needed to be doing weekly and making sure we stayed on track. And our thought was, you know, if this, this company has experience migrating before, they would be able to tell us all the things we needed to do. I think a finding that we found was that 
um, they don't know our company as well as we know our company. And so, you know, a lot of uh, implementation consultants, while they could be very helpful, will come to you with templates that are very general and not one size fits all. And you really have to make sure that you, someone from your team, you need to have a PM on your team for the project and that they are actually going in and deciding what is actually relevant for your side, adding in action items, because I'm sure there's a bunch that aren't in the template that really only apply to your company. Um, really making sure that you work with all the different teams you need to from the get-go. I think one learning for us was um, a lot of the things we needed to do, we needed to work with different product teams to send through like product signups into Marketo. And I think we ended up working with five different teams and they all have different sprints. They all have different schedules. And so we, we made sure that we got on their schedules a very large amount of time in advance. Um, but we still, even then, I think we, we got in their schedules about two months in advance. And even then we were really testing right up until launch day. So I think just the sooner, the better when you start involving other teams, like really get ahead of that and make sure that they know, like sending out a message to the whole company, like we're migrating, you know, six months in advance and making sure everyone is fully aware so that you can really get on their list. Um, and then I think the other thing was like, kind of in regards to us knowing our company better, um, we really relied on them to, for the most part, for the project plan. And we just found there was a lot of gaps. So I think that was something that we really took away as a learning that we need to take more ownership of the project plan. And what we ended up doing um, about a month before we launched was we just sat down and created a burn down checklist of every single item we could possibly think of. Um, and so it was very, very, very specific. And we were then in every call would then go through it specifically line item by line item, say who was doing it when it was happening. And that really helped us kind of get things back on track. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, uh, one of the most common horror stories of realizing that there's a couple like corner cases or like things that are specific to your business that, you know, the, the consultants didn't think about. And then it kind of gets lost in the project plan. And there's so many other things to track that you um, you typically forget them. And I think especially for a company that um, like Envision, again, or like any PLG company out there, I think it's still a fairly new go-to-market motion. And it, it feels like a lot of the consultants that run these migrations aren't familiar necessarily enough mm -hmm. with PLG to understand that there's there's a product team that needs to be involved. There's like data flowing from one place to another that in a way that is just different from your traditional uh, kind of inside sales or enterprise sales motion. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the actually things that happened was we, um, since we do use segments so much, and that's a very common PLG tool. We uh, really wanted to hire someone that had experience with it, but we come to find out they had experience with much lower volumes of segment. So we actually had a lot of API issues with segment and had to end up using a connector. Um, and that all kind of happened last minute, right before we launched. So that was another big thing is like, when you're interviewing these consultants, really make sure you not only ask them if they have experience with the tools you have, but what kind of volumes because they were like, yeah, we have experience with segment, but it wasn't anywhere near the volumes that we had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, which is like, the thing is similar. I mean, for even in, in Marketo, right. Or HubSpot for, for you folks, it's, you might have experience in HubSpot, but not at these kind of volumes. And it just has different implications. I mean, even your Salesforce instance is incredibly beefy and like the, the amount of like apex code that's like constantly running. I mean, I remember of like, 
years ago, like of like the CPUs of Salesforce being maxed out on your instance. And like, there's like, you can't just work with like someone that has managed like a small Salesforce instance. It's like the scale and the level of uh, details that need to happen in this is just like much greater than anything um, people typically see. Um, and so maybe a, a question like in that uh, in that vein, I'm interested in uh, <clears throat> thinking a little bit about like the the tools that um, that you folks use um, today. What would you consider kind of like the uh, the must have uh, tools on the marketing ops side for again like PLG companies that are that have like similar volume to to envision? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So. Um, I definitely think, you know, having an email tool like Marketo that can handle larger volumes or complex workflows is really key for us. Um, we hadn't, we did, I will say that we did have to do some things, like I mentioned, having a connector to where you can actually send through, we, we send through some of our segment events in batches. Um, so really being um, cognizant of API calls and volumes and things like that when you have such a large, data, large database um, and being able to utilize those types of connectors to bash things through is really important. Um, segment is huge for us because it kind of feeds into all of our systems and allows us to look at um, what product users are doing and if those product actions are highly correlated to enterprise customers and someone becoming an enterprise customer. Um, I think having a scoring tool is always uh, obviously one of the top things. Uh, we do use MadKudu and having MadKudu um, really to be able to help tell us like, is this the right person um, for enterprise and um, is it the right fit? It does a great job of basically kind of weeding out people that would never really be a fit for enterprise. Um, and then also making sure that that tool can plug into something like segment or whatever you're using for product analytics to be able to use all that good product data um, into your model so that you can then predict if someone will be a good fit, I think are super important. Um, as far as um, any other tools, I think those are kind of like our key um, PLG tools, I would say. Um, we use you know, things like Drift um, is really helpful for chatting online. Um, it's really helpful for current customers and helping them engage with us. Um, and then we also use Pendo in-app, which is really helpful for product companies um, because it allows us to reach our product users. And um, if we do have like a new feature that's coming out, we can message them. Um, we can use it for targeting people that we think might be a good fit for enterprise, um, telling them about cross sells and things like that. We, um, we actually use Pendo, which is our in-app tool a lot to um, kind of nurture current customers as well. So more of like a customer service tool where we are making sure that the customers we do have are getting the most out of our tool and able to help them and push them along in the journey. Makes sense. And actually related to this, I think uh, Megan had a, a good question that I think makes sense to address. So she was asking, what tools um, do you use for um, reporting? And um, yeah, and how do you make sure you can scale that reporting? Both, I guess, like, I'll like add both from a, I guess, like vertical aspect of like lots of data and making sure that you have something like reporting tools that scale from that perspective, but also horizontally in the sense that like Envision has a ton of different funnels. There's like a self-serve funnel, there's an enterprise funnel, there's like upsell funnels. And so there's also like a need for that complexity to support that complexity of the business. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I would say for the most part, we use mode. 
Um, and that is because we are able to pull from all these different data sources and different tables and put everything in one place. So for example, um, like a lot of, most people probably know Salesforce reports can be limiting. You can't pull across multiple objects in a lot of cases. So a lot of times we'll be pulling data from Salesforce into mode and then joining that actually with our product data so that we're able to create whatever sort of dashboard we need. So a lot of our reporting is custom where we're working with the data team to create a query across different um, data sources. But we find that it really is works really well for us because since it's so customized, I think that it be, being able to look at all the different data sources and show the different funnels is super helpful. And we just find that Salesforce can be very limiting. And um, how do you, um... What is the process today to to build a new uh, report? So I guess like yeah. I mean more specifically, like do you end up like have you had to learn how to write SQL, yeah. or do you have some kind of a template on how to write uh, requirements for someone from the data ops team to actually build the report? Yeah, that's a good question. So our team does not build the reports for the most part. Um, we basically translate requirements from the team into kind of telling them exactly what the, so we'll basically go by and say, this is what this chart needs to include, this is what this chart needs to include, um, and kind of give them the business case as well of what we're trying to answer. Um, and then the data team will actually help us build that out. Um, mostly because we have a lot of different tables and data sets everywhere, and our team isn't managing that and isn't really sure of which table is where and which data is where. Um, but they, they do help us in setting up um, some kind of like do-it-yourself templates as well, where you can kind of go in and make small edits to the SQL, um, or you can, they'll create things where you can um, enter a domain, for example, and then that will populate all the data for a specific domain. Right. Yeah, I love it. I think, and this goes back to what I was saying about like similar to like the PM versus the engineer, like the PM is not expected to write the code, but writing requirements and specs that are clear enough that someone can take them and implement something that will work uh, is, is critical. And I, this is where like also from a marketing ops perspective, there's something of you're going to have these requests that might come from C-level that are a little bit obscure, but you need to, from that, extract what is the, the business objective or like the question you're trying to answer. And from that, actually build some specs for then someone to build the report and be able then to, um, you know, analyze the results and ship the answer back to the C-level. And that's where I think MOPS is so pivotal in being able to, you know, write these specs, but then also like analyze the the outcome. And that's something that I, I feel envision uh, or that you and your team do really well compared to a lot of other teams where like MOPS tends to be more of a, a donut maker and it's more of like, oh, build this report. And it's like, oh, let's figure out how we build a report, yeah. not kind of rethinking the requirements around it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And that's, and that's mostly what we're doing is sitting down because, you know, a lot of times CFT will have questions and then sitting down and taking a step back and saying, well, they'll, they'll ask a very pointed question like, I want to see this. And we'll say, well, what are you trying to accomplish from that? And then often the request turns into something completely different. Right. And and sorry, for people who know, you've mentioned a couple of times CFT. Yeah, sorry. That's our um, customer facing team. So sales and customer success. Right. Um, just for everyone to, to yeah. be clear on that. Um, awesome. And so, so I, I wanted to jump into uh, a topic again that I, I really, I mean, and I, I am a bit of a fanboy of the organization at, at Envision. I so far love the people I've interacted with there. Um, and one of the things that to me was really um, 
incredible is the relationship that uh, the MOPS team has with the CMO. And, and I think this is something that uh, every MOPS should aspire to is having a really, really tight relationship with the CMO of not just again, like this, like donut maker kind of relationship, but also like advisor and being able to provide insights and like refine strategy. And so really curious to hear um, how maybe that came to happen in the yeah. first place and how you um, nurture that relationship. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, Brian, who is our CMO, started about, I think, two years ago. And first, he's one of the easiest people to work with. He's extremely transparent. Um, from day one, when he came on, he started sharing things that he would learn at board meetings and really give us insight into what was happening in leadership conversations, which I think everyone really appreciated. Um, we have a weekly marketing call um, on Mondays where he's always in it, always you know, interacting with us. You never feel like you can't talk to him. So I think that has made the relationship really easy. Um, but in terms of you know fostering that relationship between MOPS and the CMO, I think really, again, like when we were talking with the product teams, like making sure he knows what you do, he or she knows what you do. And then also making sure that like that you're able to provide value to them. So for example, uh, we have a weekly call where we meet with sales leadership and marketing leadership where we go through our pipeline every week. And basically I provide all the context needed for that week. So this is what happened last week. This is what we ran. This is why we're doing good. This is why we're doing bad. Um, here's some awesome new logos we got and really like giving him everything he feels like he needs to ha be armed to go into that meeting and into his leadership meetings and really know what's going on in the business. Because I think a lot of times CMOs can feel um, like they're a little bit far away from the business and they don't really know the nitty gritty details. And, you know, of course, you don't want to send him every single like open rate and, and all that kind of stuff, but just giving him more context and feeling like you're being helpful to him and that he knows, um, you know, what's going on and why what's happening and is able to then answer questions to the board and to the CEO and is really feeling like he knows what's going on. Right. And, and I think that's that, and it's super interesting and it, it is hard. I think that's one thing that I, I do want to bring up is that it's it's hard because you have to balance as a mops right you have to balance this like very like specific level of actions of like fixing workflows and at the same time like abstracting all that complexity into like some nugget of information that the cmo not only can understand but also can relay to the ceo who's like one other uh, level above in terms of like how far removed they are from the details of the operations and i think that's one of the things where there's a lot of opportunity in our space of figuring out how do we take this information and not just like, you know, throwing at them like massive dashboards with a bunch of metrics, but actually saying like, if you want the dashboards, that's where they are. But this is the TLDR from the dashboards. This is what's going well, what isn't. And just like helping them keep a pulse on, uh, on the business. And I think that is something that, um, that is tricky. And I'm curious, like, I mean, did you learn over time or like yeah. what kind of resources did you use to um, to figure out how to do that? Yeah, I think uh, we, we talked about this a little bit, but before uh, at Envision, I was in a little bit of consulting. And so I think having that experience of presenting things to clients and working with different clients and having to really give a top level overall TLDR view on everything was really helpful because it allows me to look at all the small details. And in mocks, I think a lot of times you have to, you're going in between like such a low, low level detail and then, and then flying up and going at this high level. 
And so I think you have to be able to look at these small details and then really say, okay, what matters from that? And I think having that background of presenting to clients and things like that helped with that. As far as like how to learn that skill, I would say um, present as much as you can. And even if you don't feel comfortable, like start presenting in small team meetings. um, If you can get on like your department, all hands, things like that. And you'll just continue to get better and better at it and figuring out like, okay, what's really important and what is the last thing they need to know. And I think like one simple way of doing that is um, I like to like use my mom as a test of would she actually understand what I'm saying? And I think that's a really good way of thinking of it. If someone who has no idea what marketing operations is, you know, what B2B tech is, would they understand it? And I think that's a good way of kind of figuring out if you distilled it into um, concise information. Yeah, I love that. And and the other uh, another metric that I, I like to think about, which goes back to what you're mentioning about, you know, consultancy, right? Consultants are paid like you're you're paid by the hour. And it's almost like whenever you present something, that's the justification for your paycheck. And I think there there's a question there of like whenever when you're presenting to the CMO, it's like, do you feel like the CMO would have been OK paying five thousand dollars for that presentation? And if not, then that's probably not the right level of detail or it's it's not like valuable enough. And kind of having that in the back of your mind is saying like, okay, you know, do I think someone would be okay paying 5K for this like 20 minute presentation? And if not, then there's probably some some work to be done there. Yeah. Um, and and actually Lauren has um, like a, a question that I guess like relates to this. Um, or so she's asking, um, you know, around the like the whole metrics we're talking about, um, like what metrics, you know, are, are very relevant to support the board in terms of, mm-hmm. yeah, like marketing metrics and how they might have changed, you know, recently with COVID mm-hmm. or even like in the history of, of Envision with the, mm-hmm. the business changing so much? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So for us um, on the on the marketing ops side, marketing ops tends to support more of the, the enterprise demand gen side. So our kind of North Star metrics it, metric is revenue. So pipeline that we're creating, opportunities that we're creating, um, I think that's super important to us. Now, as being a product-led growth company, product signups, registrations, things like that, that's also very important as well. So making sure that both sides of the funnel are healthy is, is important for us. And in terms of you know what I'm sharing with our CMO on a daily basis or on a weekly basis is mostly how we're doing um, pipeline wise and what we're creating. Um, I think he likes to know those details of like new logos. That's always really interesting to, um, I think that's something that you can't really find easily in dashboards, but that's really interesting to CMOs because they can use that in conversations like, oh, you know, we just acquired this new company, you know, we, we this new company is a customer now. And I think that's something that they like to kind of throw around. And so giving that kind of backup info when you're giving them just hard numbers of this is how much pipeline we generated, this is how many opportunities we generated, and th- these are the new logos we acquired is important. Um, and then also like product registration. So making sure that we have a healthy amount of registrations that are feeding our funnel um, and that we have we're hitting our goals in that manner. And then basically giving them just the high level of like, this is where we wanted to be and this is the percent to goal we're at is kind of the key metric that sticks out to them. Right. I think, I mean, it's, it's a really tough question because it's one where the, like the perfect answer is like, it depends uh, yeah. because it always does. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think what's interesting in, in all of this, again, is like the board is even again, like we we're talking about the CEO being a layer removed and then the board is even another layer removed. 
And and again, like one of the things that I like about what you were saying in terms of like stories and new logos, at the end of the day, like people remember stories more than they remember numbers, right? So like we all remember like specific storylines in movies more than we'll remember like, you know, the specific number of characters that were in a movie. And so I think finding the right kind of logo and the right story to support kind of the narrative of what's happening can be really helpful to like convey the right message. And that's where also being close to the details can be so helpful of picking, oh, well, this logo actually, all of this happened. And it's like a good example, it exemplifies this customer journey that we're putting together and that we're trying to, to scale out. Um, so I, I love that idea of like bringing up these, these logos and the journey behind them. Um, another part that I think is, um, <clears throat> is interesting there is in mobs, there's also like this, these two kind of competing, um, sets of metrics, right? So there's always one element, which is ultimately as a marketing team, what you're trying to do is to scale and create predictability in, in the funnel, right? Of saying like, we know that if we pour more money at the top, like again, for the board, right? They're, like, they're they want to invest money and see that the investment is actually going to return tenfold. Just like, oh, we found that we have predictability in our funnels. It's like, how do you show that through some of the metrics? Um, mm -hmm. But there's also like something that's maybe more short term, which is you're running experiments. So we're saying, oh, you know, we've identified that people, you were saying this, like people who perform these actions in the app typically are a good fit for enterprise. So now there's like, we have an, a hypothesis that we can go and source more enterprise pipe by going after people that do these events. And that's almost like a separate set of metrics, which are really there to support a hypothesis. And, and the way you're gonna look at them is very different from anything that's more about like, this is like our core business model. And we're seeing like all the metrics keep on evolving in the right way that you know reinforce this idea that we have a scalable motion. Totally. Yeah. And it's kind of like the idea of, you know, what you were describing or what are kind of like man-made metrics where we just created them ourselves and we use them as kind of like an internal barometer of telling if, you know, things are working, testing and things like that. But to your point, really the, the metrics that you're looking at that don't ever change are like things like registrations and revenue generated. Um, and then we try to use these things like that we make up ourselves, right? MQLs, MQAs, PQLs to tell us um, whether we're doing good and whether we have more qualified leads in our pipeline. Right, and ultimately, I mean, let's just be honest here, right? Like MQLs don't mean anything. I mean, it's just like, it's it's a word and, or like whatever, like an acronym and yeah. we can put whatever we want into it. Like we could say, oh, any sign up is an MQL. Yeah. So the cute thing is that like very often when you think about the board or CEOs or anything like that, like what they want is like a leading indicator, right? Like re revenue takes too long to get to that. If you're seeing a dip in revenue, it's already too late to act. So it's like, what leading indicator can we agree upon um, as the thing we're gonna monitor to determine like where we're going? And, and I like the idea of saying like, ultimately, you know, for each business, the leading indicator is gonna be different. And for each initiative in marketing, the leading indicator might be different and, and it's fair and it's fine and I think you know, marketing ops teams shouldn't be afraid of that or feel bad about the fact that it is, yeah, like a unique, uh, unique metric. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great point about the different teams, because, you know, a lot of times we'll have different product teams, like the product marketing team doesn't really care that much about MQLs. And if they come to us asking for reporting, they probably don't want to know how many MQLs a new 
product launch generated. Um, whereas the demand gen team really does care about MQL. So knowing like, you know, what kind of metrics actually mean things to the different teams is helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, while we're at it, I think the, um, Lauren actually has been asking some really good questions, had another one. Um, in terms of, yeah, like we were talking about like product visibility and like the mode uh, reports. And I think there's this interesting question of um, how to create alignment between like all the visibility that you're going to create in like on the marketing side, on the client success side, sales, um, and, and how you make this cohesive rather than having one team using mode, another team using Looker, and some other team is like pulling data with Stitch and like dumping it somewhere and then running some uh, some redash report. Kind of who manages this? How is it developed? And uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's an interesting one. Yeah, that's a good question. It's taken us a while to get there. I will say, I think everyone struggles with that. Where you know different teams they want a report and they want it now, so they go and create it in however they can. Um, but we have gotten to a good place where I think the first thing was just aligning on like what we agreed with um, with sales that we would measure on and what counted as a marketing sourced opportunity and what counted as a sales sourced opportunity. So we created um, basically a lot some logic that align that we both aligned on that said, okay, this is what is considered marketing source. This is what considered is considered sales source. Because before we had that, we had a lot of situations where we would come to meetings and we'd say, you know, marketing contributed this much. And they're like, oh, that's an inflated number. Like we don't really believe that. And so we sat down with sales ops and said, okay, what's what do we agree on? And we came to a conclusion and now we we use that and everyone feels comfortable with that and we present it in weekly in calls. And I think what's key is um, we do have kind of like a central team that manages all this type of reporting. Uh, we partner, the RevOps team does the, I would say um, most of the kind of like pipe reporting and by segment reporting, and then marketing ops will come in and report on all kind of marketing source related stuff. So we have a deck where we pull from, um, we pull from mode and we report on that weekly and we give them kind of everything they need so that they don't have to go create these random Frankenstein reports. We say, okay, here's everything. Here's a dump of all the reporting you need. And then we'll go through high level at what's happening. Um, but we really make sure that like all of it's coming from us in that we are the ones providing the reporting if they're going to present in to another team or going to the board or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, like it's such a common, again, horror story that and and we live through this like pretty often where like some rep decided they're going to build a report in Salesforce completely, you know, oblivious of all the different like business uh, logic that might be yeah. out there that might be hidden from them. And they build a report. It's like, oh, my God, nothing's working. Look at all this. Like all the numbers are off. And you're like, well, yeah, like maybe before you start sharing that everywhere, let's just sit together and actually show you that you know, like only like some part of the revenue is in Salesforce because then there's like self-serve that might be in Stripe or might be in like some data warehouse somewhere else. And like, oh, and enterprise deals are not tracked with the same stages. So it's not the same pipeline. Um, and it's such a common thing to have like someone try to build a report um, in Salesforce and realize, oh, it, it doesn't look similar to what we have. So interesting to hear. And you were saying the, um, you kind of like those mops um, is MOPS kind of a central uh, part of saying like we kind of own distributing the reports and making sure we constantly look at that set of reports and add to it? Yeah, we partner with RevOps very heavily. Okay. So RevOps um, reports mostly on like the more sales focused mm -hmm. metrics. Um, and then we're reporting on the marketing focused metrics. But yeah, we, we do have to do policing constantly. 
Um, like one good example is I think there was three different mode reports I saw the other week that all were some variation of a product metric. Um, but then when you dug into the actual SQL, you could see that they were all pulling from like different sources of logic. And so I think in those cases, I'll typically just like sit down with whoever created the reports and have a call and say, hey, what are the goal of these three reports? Um, can we consolidate them? Are there different goals? Are they the same goals? And figuring out um, what that is and then making sure we add that kind of context to the reports like, hey, this report is for this. Don't assume this from this report. Um, so I think that's helpful adding like context onto the report itself. Right. And and actually, I'll use this as kind of a segue into a question that, that Tina had a bit earlier, which was like, what tools are used to document processes? And I think maybe before we go into processes and, and even like for personal and team use, mm -hmm. it's when you're building a lot of these reports, one of the challenging things is that a report is built within the context of answering a specific business question. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like the metrics might be the same, but you look at them through a different angle based on the business question you're trying to answer. So first off, like on, on the reporting side, how do you make sure that that context is well documented on, on the reports? Mm -hmm. And I think more generally than jumping into Tina's question of how do you make sure you have like, you know, a good documented process, especially for a team that is like fully distributed, like Envision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So on the first piece, I think as, as far as adding context to reports with mode, it's nice because you can add the, the context directly onto the report. You can add footnotes everywhere, all over it, saying this is what this means. This is where it's pulled from. This is what it's used for. This is the business case. So we've gotten better at doing that, really adding a lot of notes on the actual report itself so that you're able to know what it's from. Um, as far as documenting you know, reports and requirements and things like that, I think it's definitely a work in progress and there's always new reports that pop up, but we have started kind of like a repository and we just use Google Sheets, it's very simple, um, but we have started a repository and that's on the marketing ops side. Our, our product team does have some documentation confluence on very product specific metrics, but we tend to not use con confluence for everything because not all teams use it. So. Google Sheets is a very um, universal tool that all teams know how to use. So we'll typically document, you know, this is this is the report you can use for this. This is the report you can use for this. This is the business case question. Um, and then this is who created it. This is your DRI. And so that really allows people to then, if they do have questions, go to that person and understand more about the report. Makes sense. And and in terms of like a lot of the, like the inbound requests that are coming in, I'm curious because again, like one of the things that um, that, that changed a little bit with, you know, for a lot of companies now for the first time being remote is that there's, I feel like the barrier to requests has gone down a little bit because, you know, you're only a Slack message away from making whatever requests you want. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious how, again, like give um, the experience of, of being remote as a company from the start, yeah. what processes do you have in place on the MOP side to make sure that like, all requests that come in are are filtered in the right manner and that you're not just like overwhelmed with kind of busy work, just tackling all the stuff that's being asked of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, we that's also we it's taken us time to get there, but um, our team has created a really good process of um, intake. We actually use um, like a little Slack helper where you can basically click it click the Slack request feature and you have options of what you want to fill out. So whether it's you want a new Salesforce campaign created, you want a report, you want, um, you know, a Marketo email, things like that. And then it goes to the appropriate people. We have a pretty, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lengthy, but we have a detailed brief that you do have to fill out depending on the task. So if it's a smaller task, we don't make you fill out a bunch, but if it's a, you know, big campaign, big report, we do make you fill out like, why do you need it? What is it for? Have you done something like this before? Um, all that kind of stuff. And then depending on how big the campaign or the request is, we actually hold kickoff calls a lot to walk through it with the, um, with the campaign owner to be able to ask any questions. Because I find in MOPS, a lot of times what happens is you can get a request and you read over it and you're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And then the scope just gets out of control because they ask like, oh, and also this and also this. So we really try to make sure in those kickoff calls that we get through everything and really understand what they're trying to do. And those calls a lot of times too, that's where we do a little bit of, hey, is this really what you mean? Like, what are you trying to answer? We think this might be more helpful. Um, and then also in this call, sometimes we discover like if it's a reporting request that it already exists and that we can, you know, send them something right. we have. So I think, um, I know that like, you know, people don't like having a bunch of calls on their calendar, but honestly in, in a remote world, I think that it's just really important, even if it's a 15 minute call to just talk it out and understand what they're looking for and make sure that, MOPS has a clear view of what it is. And then we're able to then prioritize it and say, okay, you know, we think this aligns to this business value, we can do it in this time frame. And if it doesn't align to a business value or we don't think it's gonna provide a ton of value, then we either A, might not do it, or B, we might say, hey, we could do this next quarter. Um, do you use any kind of um, like video tool to be able to like send feedback in a video format? Yes, we do use, um, some folks use Cloud Apps, some use Loom, um, but we do use that a lot, actually, um, especially when people just have, like, really quick questions, we'll just record a quick video of, this is how you do it, um, this is what we think, things like that. So, yeah, that's a really helpful tool as well. Yeah, I feel like it it can remove, like, the need for a 30-minute meeting and address it in a one-and-a-half, two-minute long video, and it just provides a lot more context and having to write everything down where there, there can be a lot of stuff that's lost in translation. Yes, that I feel like that's very big for like questions people have on Salesforce reports, things like that. It's usually like a grouping issue and you can just really quickly hop on Loom and, and show them what, what you mean. Makes sense. Um, cool, and I guess like one question that's more uh, looking at, you know, at your, at your journey uh, and how you got here, I guess if you were to, you know, go back and coach your, uh, your younger self, like what are things that you would say, well, spend more time on this or spend less time on that, uh, that would lead to like, kind of like getting to where you are faster? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. I think in MOPS, I think that people that end up in this, this profession tend to be fixers and they usually started out as being that person at the company where something went wrong, something broke, and you went to try to figure out how to fix it. And so I think that you typically early on in your career, you're just learning a bunch of different tools. You're learning, um, you know, all the different email platforms. You're learning, sometimes you're learning SQL, sometimes you're learning HTML. And I do think that all of those are helpful to, you know, knowing enough to be dangerous. But unless you're actually going to be in anal analytics, you don't really need to dive that much into SQL or that much into HTML. Um, because as you move up in your career, you're probably not going to be the person actually coding. Um, so I think, you know, getting having an understanding, general understanding of things, I would say I would tell my younger self, do that more rather than, you know, taking a 18 course series on SQL and trying to master it. Um, and then really, like, I think that present presentation aspect, um, 
getting a chance to present wherever and whenever you can and getting good at distilling down information into what's important. Even if it's you're practicing on your roommate or your parents or your partner and telling them like, hey, th does this make sense if I told you this? And, and kind of practicing your presentation skills in that way, I think is super helpful. Um, and then that also allows you to really be able to take that into not even presenting, but presenting to teams what you do. So really getting good at telling people what you do, because I think in mops, that's one of the hardest things to say what you do is explaining like, well, you know, do you have a minute? Because let me sit down and tell you this five paragraph essay about what mops does. I think really having an elevator pitch of this is what I do and this is how I help your team. And it probably varies team to team, right? Because we do so many things. Just being able to, even if you have like a Google doc of like, this is how I help each team and sharing that with people, I think is super helpful in helping you move up in your career and making sure that everyone knows um, what you do and why you're helpful. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And um, I guess on from that perspective, like I know you had shared a little bit of um, in terms of kind of what frustrates you today with kind of where MOPS is and how it's perceived. Mm -hmm. um, maybe can you share a little bit about that and how uh, how you think we can address it? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned Mops being the donut maker. I think that a lot of, a lot of, I think that um, my old boss mentioned like we were plumbers before. So I think that, I think that really um, trying to get away from that, you know, we're still going to need to be able to do technical things and help build things, but really trying to be more of a strategic partner. And I think that can be frustrating for people in Mops too, because you don't want to just be the person that's just taking orders all day. That's not a very fulfilling career. And so I think the way that MOPS is going to evolve as a profession and allow people to continue to move forward is being a strategic partner. So if you're a person that is creating emails, if you're a person that's, you know, working on campaign operations, you should be feel empowered to tell that campaign owner, hey, that's, this doesn't work really well. This is what we suggest. This is the best practice. And be more of an advisor rather than just taking orders and building things for them, asking them if it looks good, um, I think is really important. And I think that's what frustrates me a little bit today is that a lot of times when you're working with a team that um, is, you know, has worked with MOPS teams before, they just think of you as like, hey, build this for me. Um, I think really like pushing back and saying like, hey, you know, that's not the right way to do it in, in a nice way, of course. But this is what we suggest based off of our findings. And I think the more you document things and have like best practices docs, you get more credibility and saying like, hey, we already did all the research on this. This is what we recommend is really important. Um, and I think that that hopefully will help us continue to be less donut makers and more of, um, I guess, like the donut advisors. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and I, I think additionally, one uh, one element that, or two elements, I guess, are interesting. The first one is you mentioned, you know, at Envision, you're fortunate to have a CMO that will go into like tactical conversations and actually is interested in hearing uh, what is happening on the ground. I think that's one thing when you're interviewing, you know, in a company, making sure that you're not going to be seen as a donut maker and that there's actually the opportunity to have a strategic level dialogue that is going to inform the tactics that are going to be implemented. I think there's a second element too, which is as, as MOPS professionals, I think we need to change the dynamic also. It's if, if all we do is answer tickets about creating this flow, updating that flow, mm -hmm. then we're kind of contributing to the, per, um, the perception of our roles just being like the donut makers. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing that needs to happen is 
Um, and, and Sarah McNamara from uh, Slack was saying this, like she has like the yes, no, yes framework of saying, um, yes, I hear you. No, I'm not going to do what you said, but yes, I'm going to find a solution to your problem. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one thing of figuring out like, you know, how do we solve the problem? Not just being like the no machine, because that's like very frustrating for other teams when it's like, ah, oh, I'm not going to ask them off because they're just going to say no. Yeah. Um, but then there's another element of saying, we have to proactively put together some reports. And I think this goes to the presentation, right? Of saying, find some insights that you start sharing and like once, twice, at some point, people start thinking, oh, well, actually like Katie was telling me about this and maybe she has an idea about this. And then you start like bringing this perception that Mops is more than just like, oh, I need to change this workflow or like fix this piece of HTML. And it's more about like, oh, I'm actually, I have this question who could I go to? And then Mops comes to mind because you've actually helped them forge that mental idea that you know Mops is there to um, support any strategic decision. And I think, I mean, you were mentioning, um, I think you share like a weekly uh, report, like weekly notes mm-hmm. with the CMO to kind of support things you're seeing and decisions they're making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and we actually, I share that same report with our whole growth marketing team. Um, and I, that's exactly, I think the key to doing that is just sharing what you're doing more and more. Um, so we share that report where we're saying like, where we're taking what's happening and distilling it down. And I, I do think sharing stuff like that really solidifies in folks' minds like, oh, they know what they're talking about. I should come to them when I have a question on the best CTA strategy or the best, you know, naming convention here, you know, things like, or the best, um, content, things like that. I think is super important. Um, we also do have a QBR once a quarter where we mops basically presents what's happening, what content's doing well, what's not doing well, all that kind of stuff. I think that also helps us kind of get out there as like we yes we we put together the reporting, but we're also commenting on it and, and noting like what the findings are. And I think that has really helped at least at Envision. Um, I think that a lot of our demand gen partners, CSS is partners, and will come to us and ask for our opinion rather than just saying like this is what I want to do. Right, and and this is actually something that it, I mean is very dear to my heart, and it's very dear to like where Mad Kudu fits in in organizations, right? Where I, I mean, we have this kind of dream vision, whatever you want to call it, that. Like mops should not be, they're not Marketo admins. And I think today there's too often there's perception of, oh, mops is a Marketo admin. No, like there's like marketing operations is way more than just like being the admin of Marketo. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting is, you know, most of the forums that I look at when, and and part of the reason why we created these these mops confessions, like a lot of the channels are going to be like, oh, I have a HubSpot question. Like, how do I build this report? How do I do this workflow? Oh, how do I overcome like the um, API limitations in Marketo or whatnot, or like, um, God knows what, like race conditions in Marketo and like, just like add weight statements here and there, which there is very little discourse out there for Mm -hmm. Mops to help each other and figuring out how to elevate the level of conversation. So, um, I think one thing that um, hopefully comes out of this and, and that I hope people do is even reaching out sometimes to you yeah. and say, hey, look, I, I have this presentation. Like I'm thinking of doing a QBR. Like what like what should I talk about? Like, is this the right level of granularity? Is it not? Um, and hopefully, you know, Mops comes together as a community to coach each other on figuring out what is the right level of, um, of detail to share. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think, and I do see so many communities out there where you're asking really granular questions, like you mentioned. Um, and I think getting, like, you know, up leveling the conversation and, you know, what are your thoughts on attribution in general? Just like much more broad questions where there could be a really good conversation is super helpful. And I'm always open to chatting with people about it. I love chatting about mops. Um, so definitely open to that. But um, I agree that I think that we need to just start asking a little bit more broad questions and less pointed. I think that we're very used to being the person that translates the question and, and is asking something very specific. But I think sometimes we need to be a little bit more broad and maybe not assume we know the answer and just say, like, what are your thoughts in general on this? Right. Yep. Uh, well, I know we're at the top of the hour, so I want to be respectful of your time and everyone else who joined us today. Uh, but Katie, thanks again for for joining. This was super, I mean, this was super fun, super uh, insightful, and hopefully people got a lot out of it. Um, I guess final question is, if anyone uh, wants to reach out to you or be in contact, like what's the easiest way to stay in touch? Yeah, yeah. You can add me on LinkedIn, um, Caitlin Peters. Um, you can also email me at katiepeters at envisionapp.com. Um, both of those are great ways to stay in touch and would love to hear from anyone. And thank you, Francis. This was awesome. It was so great chatting with you as always. And um, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, we'll see hopefully most of you next week when we're talking to Abby Ryan from NextThink. And yeah, feel free to reach out, ask questions. Like the chat is going to stay open for a little while. Uh, but do uh, connect with Katie. She's awesome. And I, I really, really recommend connecting with her. Uh, and I look forward to seeing all of you. So have a good rest of your day. And thanks again.